0: Well, if you've ever had the thought, why am I so double-minded when it comes to decluttering? One day I'm ready to get rid of everything and the next I can't seem to part with any of it. I'm really glad to get to visit with Natalie Hoffman from Flying Free. She is an author, a podcast host, creator of the Flying Free community. She also has a new book out that we're gonna talk about. But Natalie, um, I followed you for quite a while and you're very skilled at helping us unravel and sort out these conflicting thoughts many of us feel not only when it comes to decluttering but it, it really applies to other areas of our life but I'm excited for you to help us navigate this when it comes to decluttering because I hear from so many women that they'll like watch one of my YouTube videos and they're like I'm all fired up I'm ready to go I'm gonna get rid of all my stuff I know the benefits it's gonna help me but when they really get into it all these thoughts come in about, but, but that's wasteful and you should keep that. And somebody gave that to you, what are they gonna
1: think? I recently wrote a book about this to kind of show people what it is, but you're right. If you've ever had the thought, like part of me really wants to do this and believes this, and then an- another part of me really wants to do that. And it's sometimes it's the exact opposite. And so you feel like you've got this food fight going on internally, or if you've ever thought, I wonder why, you know, I feel like I'm this kind of a person, but whenever I find myself in this particular environment, I show up in a way that's not really aligned with who I am. And I wonder, like, who is this weird person that's showing up right now? Yes. We sometimes can experience that if we're, if we go to maybe a class reunion or something like that. And all of a sudden, we're back in our teenage body and feeling like a teenager and maybe feeling those same insecurities that we had. Or like if you go home for the holidays and you're with your family again, and all of a sudden you feel like you're that 12-year-old kid who's trying to navigate the weird, you know, dynamic in your family, especially Mm -hmm. if there's a little bit of dysfunction, which I think there probably is in most of our families. (laughs) So um, then we can wonder like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I just be me and who am I anyway?
0: And Natalie, don't you think too we often assume that nobody else is having these like struggles or these challenges or like it's,
1: it's clear, it's obviously just me because I don't actually hear most other people talking about it. Exactly. We don't talk about it. And one thing I've heard when I started, ta- when I started talking about it for me, a lot of people came out of the woodwork and were like, yeah, I totally feel like that. Like one, one thing I've always felt like is I feel like I'm such a kid or like I'm mm-hmm. playing house. Yes. Like even when I got married, I was old enough to get married. And I was you know, 25 when I got married. And by the time I was having kids in my early thirties, I still felt like, what am I doing? I have a house. I have these kids. I'm trying to manage my life. And I still feel like I'm 16 years old. Am I just pretending? How come all my other friends look like adults managing their lives and I just feel like I just feel like a teenager and I can't get it together. I am so glad you said that. I actually mentioned that on a recent
0: YouTube video, and I was talking about kind of like organizing and stuff. And I'm like, often, I just feel like, yeah, like when you were a little kid, even, and you were setting up house when you were going to play house, I was just like, it just like, and especially when we had baby stuff and you had all the little baby clothes and the baby things, and you're like, you know, straightening it all up. And I could not believe how many women on that video said, wow, I totally like feel the exact same way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Why don't we talk about it? I think we don't want people to know that we have those insecurities, I guess.
0: So what have you learned about this now as you've studied it more and, and, and come across other resources?
1: So a few years ago, I came across this thing called IFS. It stands for Internal Family Systems. And it wasn't really a very well-known Um, kind of therapy tool but it has exploded in the last couple of years and now there are lots of books being written about it and there are podcasts popping up all over the place about it and whereas five years ago I would talk to you know I would mention it to the therapist that my kids or I were working with and they had never heard of it now a lot of therapists and counselors are know about it and it's becoming a thing and a lot of people are getting trained in how to use it, not just therapists, but also coaches are getting trained in how to use it. I think it'd be easier if I just read a quote from my book because mm-hmm. it explains it in more of a succinct way because it's kind of a big, it's a big thing and it can be, it can feel complicated, but it's really not. It's IFS stands for internal family systems theory. And it's a way of looking at ourselves that recognizes that we each have different parts inside of us. And those parts have their own beliefs or programming based on our life experiences. So some parts of us are called manager parts, and they try to prevent pain by working hard to manage the circumstances and the people in our lives. And they might try to do this by trying to please people or control people or manage other people's emotions or judge people and so on. And these manager parts of us might think, for example, that if only we could make people like us or do what we want them to do, then we would be happy and we would avoid pain. Now other parts of us, so that's one one part, these other parts called firefighter parts, and they will spring into action if our manager parts are unsuccessful at preventing pain. So these firefighter parts will attempt to put out the fire of the pain to make it go away. And they might do this by overeating or overdrinking, overspending, self-harming or using drugs, these parts of us believe immediate relief is the answer and that we have to do whatever it takes to make the pain go away. They don't understand that some of the methods that we use to get that immediate relief often lead to long-term damage. So when I was trying to explain this to my kids in a way that they could understand, I gave them this analogy. Imagine that your life is a bus. And in the front of the bus is our self. And we drive the bus through life wherever we wanna go. And our core self is, now I come from a Christian faith, so I talk to my kids in terms of that, but our core self is interconnected with God, or source, or our creator. And it's whole and complete and resourced. And God didn't put us, our self, in charge of anyone else's bus, just our own. So we are the driver and we are connected and at one with our creator. But there are other parts of us on the bus too. So sitting over here on this side of the bus are our manager parts with all of their ideas and thoughts about how to manage our lives in order to prevent pain. And on the other side of the bus are our firefighter parts ready to fly into action as soon as we feel negative emotions. And way in the back seats of the bus, are our exiled parts. And I think of them as as these younger versions of us, these little children versions of us hiding and maybe curled up in the fetal position. And these parts of us carry all of our pain, our past trauma, and our confusion. We might acquire exiles from being bullied in school or getting lost in a shopping mall or losing a friend in an accident or going through a natural disaster maybe having a hard time finding friends, maybe you grew up poor or grew up in an overly strict home or had a parent with a mental health issue or substance abuse problem or anything else that would cause us harm or emotional pain. But here's the thing, the parts on our bus sometimes disagree with each other about the best course of action. They judge each other and they fight. Yeah. And I used to think there was something wrong with me because I had all these opposing thoughts dictating orders and I couldn't figure out which ones I was supposed to obey. I saw them as like scary little gods in my life, shouting orders and threatening me if I didn't do everything, you know, right. But now when I feel particularly chaotic in my brain and body, Now, because of my learning about IFS, I'm aware of what's going on inside of me, and I'm no longer afraid of these little parts with all their emotions. When I'm feeling that, you know, dysregulation inside of me, I can think, oh, my parts are having a food fight on my bus right now. (laughs) And that's when I just want to slow it down and tune in and listen to what each individual part is trying to communicate to me. I'm not listening to something outside of myself. I'm just listening to my own beliefs and my inner thoughts. If I don't stop to listen, I'm never going to know what's going on inside of me. And then I'm not going to have the self-awareness that I need to address the issues I'm struggling with.
0: Yeah. No, I love this explanation because I think, um, and to say like, this is very normal, right? This is like everybody has this. Now we have varying degrees of exiled parts and um, d- different firefighters that might come in. But I think for many of us, this is, I-, I hope women listening, if you're if you're not familiar with this, you're like, oh, that actually makes a lot of sense, <laughs> right? And it is very normal that you've had all these different conflicting emotions and thoughts and feelings, how one day I can be so resolved about something and, and then the next I am like questioning everything and I'm just totally flip-flopped to the other way.
1: Yes. Well, and one, one thing we need to know about ourselves and our, how our brain works is that we want, our brain wants to keep things status quo because mm-hmm. that feels comfortable. Yeah. So if we're in a place in our lives, even if we're used to chaos, you know, that's the thing we can think, we can look at each, ourselves or other people and we can go, how can they live like that? That's so chaotic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, well, to them, it might feel very normal and comfortable and safe. And so of course we can understand why that part of us would want to keep things status quo and maybe not. You might think in terms of decluttering, you might think, oh, it would be so much better and it would, our life would be so much better if we had a nice clean home and we knew where everything was and we didn't have all of this excess. No, there's a part of us inside that might really feel very safe and secure in the way, the way that it is. Yes. And that instead of fighting that part and shaming it and beating it up, what if we actually were able to understand empathetically understand where that part is coming from and why that part feels so safe in that kind of chaos that's really the only way that inner healing is the only way that we're going to be able to actually make some really deep maybe not just even aesthetic progress in our lives but really deep inner progress in our lives
0: I love that. So walk us through practically then. Okay. So to the woman who is feeling like I know, like logically I know if my house is simplified and decluttered. It's going to be easier to clean. It's going to feel more peaceful. My family is going to benefit from that. So, okay. I logically, I know that I want that. I watch the videos. I like I've, I've tried many times to do this yet. I have this part coming in. Maybe it has like some scarcity mindset into it of like, but what if we can't replace that? Um, maybe I also have this thought coming in of, well, you can do that, but it's never stuck before. Like nice try, you know, trying to get decluttered, but like, you're just going to buy the Stuff again and clutter it back up, and then your spouse is going to give you a hard time. Your kids are going to think you're being foolish. And another part, maybe that comes in saying like, "Well, I'm not a good steward. Like, I want to be a good steward of all of my things and be very financially responsible. And if I'm just willy nilly getting rid of things, like that's not being a good steward." So I ha- So how do we start to unravel this?
1: You'll when you come up with an, a reason or, or what you might call as an excuse for not doing something, mm-hmm. instead of fighting that or usually what we'll do is we'll think that thing and then we'll just shut down mm-hmm. we just shut down and we and, and then we go you know eat some chips yeah but but instead of doing that what if you could actually sit and listen to what that part is trying to tell you why that part doesn't want it? so what i recommend is doing a thought download And you can just, I've actually seen you recommend, you know, like setting a timer for five minutes Mm -hmm. to, you know, clean up a small area and just see what you can get done in five minutes. So I love that hack, that brain hack, because it, our brains will go, oh my gosh, I don't want to sit, I don't have time to do a thought download. I don't want to sit there and write for, you know, who knows how long. And what if I start writing and I can't stop? And and it, plus it's uncomfortable sometimes to go into our, into our thinking. So just tell yourself, okay, okay, self, we're just going to do it for five minutes. That's it. So set your timer and sit down and write down all of the things that are coming up for you when you have the thought, I really need to declutter my kitchen cupboards, for example. Well, I don't want, I don't want to give up the this particular you know, appliance because my mother used it the whole time I was growing up. She makes cream cacas with it. And I know I've never made a cream caca in my life and I don't ever want to, but I really need to hang on to this cream, yeah. <laughs> cream caca machine. And it means so much to me and it reminds me of my mother and that reminds me of my grandmother and that reminds me of my heritage and oh my word, I'm not even living up to my heritage and I'm never going to pass on my Norwegian heritage to my grandchildren. And like all, just write it all down and get it all out Yeah. and then read it back to yourself. Like empathetically listen, the way you would listen to a little child who's pouring out their concerns. And then, and when you, when you listen with this heart of compassion and curiosity and understanding you create this shift inside of yourself where that part of you feels heard. There's definitely like, there's this little bit of release, like relief, like, oh, finally someone gets it. Then what you can do, once you've got that relief that someone gets it, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when your child really senses that you're listening to them, now they're more open to hearing other suggestions. They're more yeah. open to loosening up their own thinking, maybe not switching it entirely. Mm-hmm. They're maybe not gonna be able to, you're maybe not gonna be able to go from, you know, I will never pass on my Norwegian heritage to, to it's okay, I, I'm just fine without doing that. Like you, you might not be able to go to the opposite extreme, but you might be able to loosen up your thinking to think maybe thoughts like, what if we could pass on our Norwegian heritage in other ways? maybe there's a way we could hang on to this, like by taking a picture of it and posting some pictures and doing a little, um, montage, uh, montage of the, the, the item and maybe some what cream kakas look like and then teaching our kids about how you know this was the cream kaka machine that your great grandmother used this is what a cream kaka looks like and then buy them at the store yeah I like, and this is <laughs> the bakery
0: we go to to buy them because i will never exactly. make it and that's fine and
1: <laughs> exactly and it could be something that you only do at christmas time yeah i don't know but you would never come to that creative solution Yes. If you didn't actually if you didn't actually look at why is this item so important to me? That's how I do it inside of me and how I teach other people to do it inside of them. We don't I don't work with women on decluttering, but yes. I can <laughs> definitely see how I mean, IFS can be used in any challenge that you have in your life. And I think our homes when it comes to our homes and maintaining peace and orderliness and just a sense of Calmness and safety in our homes is well, and also, I mean, I think about my home. I feel my, I feel like our homes reflect what's going on inside of us. So oftentimes when I look around me and I see my, I've really let my office go to the pits, it doesn't always mean that I'm busy. Sure. It can mean that I'm feeling really scattered and I'm not really addressing some of my deeper issues. And it really has nothing to do with my, ability to clean up my office. I know I can clean up my office. I can even hire someone to clean up my office. It has to do with what's going on inside of me, and that's what's most important for us anyways. What's happening inside of us? How How are we taking good care of the person who has our name? Yeah. That's what's important. Yeah,
0: that's so good. And I think this is really encouraging. And I mean, what if it's something that, I mean, even deeper, that it's something like, I make poor decisions. I mess everything up. Is this something that we can work through by ourselves? Can we, is it something we're going to have to keep journaling about or writing about frequently or for some of these like really deep-seated things, how do we apply this?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's always these core beliefs that we have, but they usually come up in, um, in us like a current circumstance. So you may have a core belief that like I, I learned that I had this core belief there is something fundamentally wrong with me. But it came up in other thoughts. Like there are surface thoughts and then underneath those, there are deeper thoughts and then underneath those. And if you keep oftentimes a way to find out what your core belief is in anything is to keep asking yourself why When you have a thought, just go, well, why? And, and how we can do that is again, if we write these thoughts, if we write our surface thoughts down on paper by doing a thought download, That's when we can actually look at them objectively. Sometimes if our thoughts about something. Like, let's say – I mean, do you want to give me a circumstance? Well, I'm thinking tying it into decluttering. I know many women kind of
0: free is when they actually – get like they're standing in front of their closet they want to declutter their clothes they're looking at things that are four sizes too small things that are way too dressy for anything they would wear right now so they walk up to their closet feeling resolved i'm getting rid of all of the stuff i have not worn in a year but now i actually go to pull it out and i don't trust myself to make that decision because i feel like i've always, i make poor decisions i'm going to declutter it and then i'm going to decide that i actually did want it and so now i just totally second guess and, and question
1: myself and therefore I don't make the decision. And I just, yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the, okay, so that could go back to there's something fundamentally wrong with me just in thinking that I'll make a mistake.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: that would be more of a surface. Well, what if I make a mistake and I get rid of something? And then I realize later that I really needed that for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that a lot when I'm looking at my closet, especially. Okay. And so, <laughs> and then if you look on under that, well, why I would ask myself, well, why is that a problem? First of all, before I get into that though, I would I would say when you're looking at your closet, get your notebook and go through. and when our thoughts are swirling around in our head, mm-hmm. we and by the way, ninety it's it's over nine, I can't remember the exact number, but it's over ninety percent of our thoughts are non-conscious. Yeah. they're under the surface where we can't access them. Mm-hmm. We usually only access the uh, just a small percentage of our thoughts. So if you want to gain more self-awareness, you have to be willing to go down there and dig into non-conscious thoughts. And so you're having probably hundreds of thoughts while you're looking at your clothes and you do, and there most of them are non-conscious. Okay. So if you want to bring them to your surface, I would say grab a notebook and look through your clothes and write down what you're thinking. Okay. Yeah. Oh my word, that is a suit jacket that I bought that I never wore, but I thought I would wear it when I was going to be a teacher. But you never know, I might need it need it for an interview or I might need it to speak at something. But I've never worn it in literally 15 years. Right. <laughs> so, but I write down, well, I'm afraid to give it up because it it would cost a lot of money. It's uh it's a classic piece. Um what if I, you know, I I you never know. I might but it doesn't even fit. You know, but, but I might lose weight someday. Yes. And you just answer all of the objections and I don't want to, and then, so why is that a problem for you? Why is it a problem that you would get rid of it or that you would, and, and just keep asking why, and you'll, you'll end up getting down to, well, if I make a mistake, then that means there's something wrong with me. That means I'm not a good person. That means I don't make good decisions. That means I'm not. Those are the underlying core thoughts that we have about ourselves. That's when you can stop and go, what if you did make a mistake? What if you made a mistake? Let's just go there. I always tell my clients, let's go there. Let's say that you made a mistake and you got rid of that thing that doesn't fit you, that was expensive and it's really nice. It's in perfect shape because no one ever wore it. What if you made a mistake and got rid of it and then two years from now you really needed it for something and you lost the weight and it could have fit and it would have looked amazing? What then? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and all of a sudden, and then your logical brain will kick into gear and go, I suppose I would just find something else, or maybe I'd go out and buy something that's maybe a little more, uh, you know, date, that's maybe more in in vogue now instead of- Yes. What was in vogue 15 years ago? Yeah, so anyway, and then that kind of solves your problem a little yes, bit. Yes,
0: because there was a therapist, we used to have on the radio with us, and he would say, imagine the worst case scenario. Most often then you're like, oh great, so I have to go out and I'll maybe I'll go to a thrift store and I will look for another one or I'll borrow one from a friend. And what's so fascinating, I think about like what you're saying is like taking that head on is that's swirling around our our mind anyways, right? We're just not pinning it down. It's out there floating yes. around and undermining all of our decisions, but we're not willing to just take it head on and say, okay, worst case scenario, I make a mistake and I declutter a $100 suit jacket and then I need it again. What will I do? And I love that. And being honest enough to say, and I'm afraid that Someone in my household might call me stupid or they might make fun of me or tell me they might reinforce th- that I make poor decisions. That's kind of a separate thing, right? That we might have to start to to work through, But but it actually doesn't have a whole lot to do with the actual suit jacket that's cluttering up my
1: closet. Right. Well, and I think even along those lines, when we are worried about other people and what they might think about us, underneath that is our... Our fear that there really it, that that person is right about us. once we really connect with those little parts of us that have these fears or that we feel shame about, and we learn how to love them, then when other people criticize us or don't like what we've done or don't like the decisions that we've made, we already are so in love with these little parts inside of us that we will be protective of them. yeah, and that we'll be like, it's okay. You don't need to feel shame. They mm-hmm. have their opinion, yeah. probably because their little parts are activated and they're trying right. to manage their life, right? Right. right. Yeah. And but they can, they can have their opinion. Let's give them permission to have their opinion about me. But I am going to hold so much loving space for who I am, and we're human and we get to make mistakes. That is part of the privilege and the opportunity of being a human. We get to go out there and make choices and decisions every day of our lives. And it's gonna be like, Ms. Frizzle, did you ever see Magic School Bus? The Frizz? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) The, The Frizz always said, let's get messy and make mistakes. And we get to do that. We get to get messy and we get to make mistakes and that's part of the beauty of being human.
0: And I love, Natalie, in your uh, in your new book, All the Scary Little Gods, you, so in the second part of the book, you actually, it's, it's a memoir and you write out what all these different parts are saying to you through the same set of circumstances and it was, it was so good to read because it really helped this idea that ifs to to really click and i could resonate with so much of the of the different parts that you were um writing about so do you want to tell us a little bit and it is a faith-based book but will you tell us a little bit about your book
1: sure well it's a memoir but i wanted it to be more Than just my story. I really want, you know, in English class in high school, how the English teacher would always say, Show, don't tell. Mm, Yes. So I tend to be more of a writer that likes to tell. You know, I like to write nonfiction books. And I thought with this one, I wanted to write my story, but I wanted to show a pathway to inner healing. Um, through my own my own journey, so I just so I broke my book into four parts, and the first part of my book, I let little Natalie tell the story. So I had to go through my own healing journey and heal my relationship with my younger self, because I really viewed my little little Natalie, my younger self, as being stupid, ugly, duckling kind of a. I was ashamed of her, and there was some trauma in my life, and so. I needed to heal my connection with that little Natalie. So I did that and and then I thought I'm going to just let her tell the first part of my story from her perspective. And so it's this creative little th- and what what I did too with my book is I I did short little chapters. So it's a big book. It's almost 400 pages long, but it's like um Would you rather eat a big baked potato full of stuff, or would you rather sit down and eat a bag of potato chips? (laughs) (laughs) So each chapter is like a potato chip. And you just, you know how when you eat a potato chip, you just you just read, you just eat one one more. Yeah. And you just want one more. So I I wanted my book to be like, oh, I just want to read just one more chapter. So it has, I think it has 89 chapters, but they're really short and they're, each one, I really wanted to make each one ha- like be really power packed and have something, some kind of like little light bulb moment in each one so that people would get that like dopamine hit. And then they would be like, oh, I just want one more, just one more chapter. That
0: perfectly, so- just that's exactly how I felt going through it. I think probably cause we all have such short attention spans now too. The, the short chapters were great, but it did, it always left you wanting more. You're like, just one more, just one more. No, I need to go to sleep. No, just one more chapter.
1: Yes. <laughs> So in the Audible version, I actually use a younger voice. I, I, re, I read the Audible version. I use a younger voice for little Natalie. So, and the second part of my book is more in my, my uh, 20s and 30s and 40s, actually more 30s and 40s. And for that part of my book, that's where a lot of really hard things happen. The way I was programmed as a child, I was living out that programming and having, I had nine kids. I was homeschooling mom, and I was in a destructive marriage. So I decided to have that part of my book. It's kind of a hard part to write. I had all my different parts, right? Not all of them, but I invited several of them to write. So like, for example, there was a part of me, I call her Rosie. Everything was, oh, it was awesome. So she writes her perspective. So Each little section tells a little story from that part of my life, but it tells it from the perspectives of all these different parts. You know, how did Rosie think about this? How did, um, I had this part freaked, constantly freaking out. Every, the sky was always falling for this part of me. Another part of me was, um, I call that part melancholy. And everything was just, I was just beating myself up. You're such a terrible person. You're such a loser. You're such a this, that, and the other thing. So that's melancholy and then i had this part called rude rude is my truth teller and rude is kind of rude she just snarky always, yeah you know, <laughs> you know, a little bit snarky exactly yeah. so she would always have she i let her you know share her thoughts and actually those that part of my book i took from my journals and i i could see these different parts of me actually writing different things in my journals And that's why I thought I was, what am I, schizophrenic or something? Why? Yeah, did you
0: actually wonder that when you were living this out, like if there was something wrong with you?
1: Yeah, I I wondered like, why does part of me think my life is so amazing? And then another part of me is like, my life is so hard and so um, overwhelming. How can you have those two thoughts at the same time? I really didn't know until I had, you know, grew up and learned all this other stuff. But I really wanted women to be able to, have more compassion on themselves. Right. And yeah. and understand why, understand where all these, you know, thoughts are coming from and to be okay with them. We don't have to I don't have to shame Freaked just because she's always freaking out. I used to feel a lot of shame around Freaked. I'd be like, why do you have to be such a freak out? I mean, a drama queen. Like, why can't you just settle down? No, that was a part of me. Oh, and there's another part of me. um, I call her spiritualizer, which is actually a term coined by Jenna Ramirez in her book, All Together You. But spiritualizer, I came from a Christian background. So spiritualizer had to put a Christian spin on everything, like a biblical spin on everything. (laughs) And so she talks like this and she has all the answers and she just (laughs) is going to slap the Bible verse on everything And so she's a lot of fun too. She shows up a (laughs) lot in my journals. And then parts three and four is just me talking and sharing about, really sharing about the healing journey then, how I ended up getting out of, how I ended up connecting with those different parts of me and learning how to love myself, learning how to, and when I started learning how to love myself, my compassion, all of my judgment about everybody else just melted away. Isn't my compassion for mm. other people started to increase. So from a Christian standpoint, I want, I believed in loving other people and, you know, supporting one another and encouraging one another. And yet there's so there's so much there in my circles that I ran in, there was so much judgment of each other and so much shame and fear. I was trying to deprogram from really kind of pandering after and placating and fawning after these scary little gods to realize that god was actually so much bigger than that and had so much love for us and so much compassion for us and kindness and connected. he's so connected to us and then the last part of my book is how Now I became, or I am becoming, because it's an ongoing story and it's still messy. It's still very messy. I try, I really tried. I I don't believe in wrapping things up in pink bows (laughs) and then, you know, and riding off into the sunset and everything is, because that's not realistic and nobody has a life like that. We all continue to evolve and grow and learn and, and have challenges. And so I'm really honest about that. And so the last part of my book is just, showing so how do how can we show up with our new program how do we deprogram from things that are really holding us back and keeping us stuck and then how do we show up with new thoughts and new ideas and new programming and what we believe about ourselves what we believe about god what we believe about other people is going to impact not just our own worlds but it's going to our own lives but it's going to have a ripple effect into how we influence the world around us including our children our our their partner their spouses our friends our our um grandchildren just every everyone that we touch in our lives is going to be impacted by the healing work that we do yeah. inside of our own lives.
0: Well, and I think, you know, I often as Christians, we get kind of conflicting messages of like, well, we shouldn't focus too much on self and it's all about God and it's all about love. But I love what you're saying is that we know we have to be okay with ourselves and love ourselves and that we've, I think it's often been oversimplified and we don't realize that being compassionate and empathetic of these different parts and that's what truly has led to being able to fully love yourself, fully be confident in yourself, and how much that did impact your view of God and your relationship with God and your ability to love others well and not have to judge them and just let them fully be who it is they're gonna be. And so it is fascinating to me that often, like, we're like, don't just focus on yourself, but actually, no, you you do need to do this groundwork before you can, like, fully show the love of God,
1: I feel like. Yes, totally. I think some people think, like I was used to hear, and I talk a lot about, you know, my specific beliefs and how they played out. But I used to think, I think there's this fear that if we, oh, if you love yourself, then you're going to just go and do selfish things. You're yeah. just going to take advantage of everyone. And you're going to go have sex with everybody. And you're going to do drugs and, you know, become an alcoholic and just drink. And you're just, just going to party pleasure. all the time. you can get it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, no, that is completely not true. That's those are, you know, in the IFS language, that would be like our manager parts deciding, well, I know, let's just do all of that. And that's how that doesn't show love to ourselves at all. That means that we're having food fights on our bus and we're trying to, you know, we're trying to uh escape. <laughs> escape. Exactly. Yeah. That mm-hmm. is not that's not deeper healing. That's running away from deeper healing. So I think people who are truly truly doing that work of loving themselves. They're going to, there's a. There's eight C words that Richard Schwartz, who is the founder of IFS, I probably should have mentioned him at the very beginning. Now he's not, he doesn't come from a Christian perspective, but Jenna Ramirezma, who wrote the book, All Together You, she does come from a Christian perspective and talks about IFS. So she talks about how these eight C's are actually, they actually coincide with the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But the eight C's are these. This is how you know that you're connected to self. Compassionate, curious, calm, clear, courageous, connected, confident, and creative. Hmm.
0: Well, and what I I love is that often I think as women, we can't uh even imagine that so much for ourselves but sometimes we can think oh that would be the characteristics characteristics i want my kids to have right and sometimes we can want better for them and we could see it more clearly of how we want it to play out in their own lives than we could imagine that for ourselves
1: that is so true and that's such a good point because what the the reality is that our kids are looking to us to see how life works and if they see that mom or dad or both are really struggling with anxiety and fear and shame in their lives and, and trying to solve for those with you know behaviors that maybe are not as uh, healthy, they're going to think that they're gonna go, oh, well, that must be how I should solve for those things as well. So when we do our own inner healing, we can actually, it's, more, it's going back to that show, don't tell, we can then show them what it's like to live a life that is more confident and connected and creative and clear and all of those C words, which if you, if any of your um, watchers or listeners come from the Christian faith, you could just go to the I think mean, is it Galatians that has the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and you could read through those. It's the same thing. Connected it's the up. Spirit yeah. of God inside of us that that He already embodies all of that, and then when we are and when we are partnering with the spirit inside of us who created us, then we will end up experiencing those things. And then when we offer them to ourselves, then we'll be able to offer them to our kids and our kids will have so much hope.
0: So Natalie, though, what would you say to the woman who is listening, who's saying, I really messed it up with my kids because I'm just thinking like, oh no, they probably have tons of exile parts in the back of their bus because of what I've done, what I allowed, what went on, what I haven't been able to make right. Um, Like, what would you say to that woman?
1: Yeah, well, I am that woman. Because my kids, I did raise my kids in an environment that was very different. Now, my youngest kids, I was, I got, i separated when my youngest was two. And and then my divorce was final when he was four. But, but so they're being raised quite differently than my older kids are. My oldest is 30. So um, what I would say is, first of all, everyone has exiles. Everyone has issues so you're not different from anyone else. So we we have to stop shaming ourselves and going, "Well, I really I'm such a failure as a parent." Every parent fails in many, many ways. And even when you do the like I'm I still fail. There're still times when I'll have an, an older child and we will I'll get triggered by something that they say or they'll get triggered by something that I say. And then but here's the beautiful thing. As you're as you're evolving and learning more and you you you'll be able to do the repair work more quickly and you'll be able to disconnect from that shame that the shame is really what gets us cutting off those relationships with people when we're feeling shame or they're feeling shame we just run and hide from other people or we well there's lots of different reactions there's um we might fight or we might run and hide or shut down or we might even like be willing to throw ourselves under the bus just to maintain that relationship yeah. Where we're not having bound, where we're throwing away our own healthy boundaries in order to keep that relationship intact and make that other person happy. And we don't need to do that either. So I would just say, you know, first of all, you're normal if you're feeling that way. But also, wherever you're at, even if your kids are all grown and they're out of the nest, when you do this work, you still, I still have relationships with my adult children. Now it's different. And they're not in my life every day. But when we do get together, It's very, very different than it was, say, 10 years ago. You know, our conversations are completely different. They feel so much more safe to be who they are. And I've got, you know, a couple of my kids are not really sure what they believe about God anymore. If you read my book that like many, many years ago, I used to pace the kitchen floor every morning for 30 minutes, 30 to 60 minutes. I was like a diehard praying woman, prayer warrior. <laughs> for my kids that they would grow up and be mighty for God and you know all the whole 9 yards. I wanted them to be missionaries and pastors and just you know changing the world. And now I've got a couple of kids that are um you know well more than t- two. I've got three or four of them that are they're not really sure what they believe about God. But they can have conversations with me knowing that I'm not going to try to you know convert them. I'm not going to try to shame them. I'm not going to try to scare them or right. anything. Yeah. I just hold I I can do what I believe God does for each one of us. He holds space for us and loves us and he listens to us. And I take my cues from, you know, when Jesus walked on the earth. How how did Jesus interact with people? Was he constantly beating them over the heads and telling them that they had to do certain things or else he was going to, you know, toss them to the wind? No. He the Bible says he sat and he listened to yeah. people mm-hmm. he sat with the he sat with the people in the bars drinking and he and he talked to women which was you know anathema back then he talked to people who were considered prostitutes he he just had so much love and 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 because he wasn't afraid yes. and he wasn't ashamed yes. and then he had that to offer to other people so you it's never never ever too late to do this repair work in your own life. Now that doesn't mean that your older kids are going to respond right away, but we're not doing that repair work so that, you know, for the purpose of controlling them anyway. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. It's
1: not another tactic, like our strategy, right. Or how can I get my kids back into the fold or how can Mm -hmm. I, you know, control my kids and their decisions? In fact, the key really is to let them be the adults that they are, give them freedom to make their own decisions and then, our, and some of my adult kids have made some, you know, decisions that I would not necessarily want for them, but it's been amazing to let them be free and, and be free to make those choices and they feel safe. And then when they experience the consequences of some of those choices, mm-hmm. you know who they come to yeah. for help and support, <laughs> they come to me because they know I'm not gonna be like, told you so. I'm gonna be like, I'm so sorry that happened and tell me about it. And I care about you and I'm here to listen. Yeah. I love
0: that. And something else I've learned from you too is to not deprive our kids of their human experience, right? This is life. Life is hard and life is difficult. And so even for those of us who have younger kids in the house, and it's not trying to protect them of every way they might get hurt and their, their parts might get damaged along the way or influenced. It's rather like you said, that we model it, that we deal with this in our own life and we model it them we're safe and then they can have this experience within the safety of our home and learn some resilience and ability to deal with these things on their own as well yes yes absolutely so natalie i have one more thought before we wind up for today does with this do you ever find yourself then using this lens of IFS when you're interacting with others. Perhaps someone is being kind of snarky or difficult to you. Do you ever think to yourself, ooh, I might be bumping up against a part that's for whatever reason having a challenge with this? Does that help at all for you to not take things personally when people aren't responding the way you think they should? It really
1: does. Cause I can tell we can all tell when we get triggered by something someone says, mm-hmm. we feel this internal Sometimes my heart will even start pounding really hard. This will even happen on social media. Have you ever like been reading social media posts and maybe you put something on your Facebook page and someone says something derogatory? Maybe they disagree with you. Anyone who believes that is stupid or you know, something, That's some right. version of that, right? Yes, right. And your inner, your, you might feel your heart pounding when that happens, whether it's in person or on social media or online, I usually will close my eyes and put my hands on my heart and say, okay, I, I can tell that part of me is, was triggered by that. Part of me is feeling shame or fear. And I wonder what this is about. Tell me what this is about. And then I just let whatever thoughts come up. Yeah. Well, I feel bad. I feel like I was stupid. I shouldn't have put that out there. Now everyone's going to think that I'm dumb. Okay. I don't think you're dumb. I think I can answer that. I I try to talk to these parts of myself like they were my children and they're they are my family. That's why it's called internal family systems. It's cuz how how David Schwartz discovered this is by working as a therapist with families. And he noticed, you know, as he talked to the kids and the mom and the dad and there's all these different things going on in that ecosystem, and then he realized each one of those people had all, that whole ecosystem within themselves. There yeah. was like fighting parts within themselves going yeah. on. Yeah. So if you think of yourself as like I've got this little family inside of myself, like one part of myself might be like, "Well, that person is stupid. I can't believe they put that on my Facebook page, yep. right?" And then another person's going, "No, I'm the stupid one. I should never have put that on there. Why did I do that?" Yeah. Another one is going, "Well, I was supposed to do that because everyone needs to know that. That is the truth. I will always put truth on my Facebook page. And everyone <laughs> needs to know." You know yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yep. And and so just. To, Able to acknowledge and hear all of those parts and go, they all have a reason why they think those things and they're all valid. So now then I can connect with so, where is God for me? Where is God and where's my core self? Where do I stand on this? Yeah. How can I hold love? Because I know that God holds love for all of my little parts. Mm -hmm. And for the person who put Uh that thing on my Facebook page and all their little parts. So where is love in all, where does love come in for all the people in this story that's unfolding right now? And how can I connect to that? And it might be different. Sometimes it might mean that I take it off my Facebook page. And I just don't want to, I just, Mm -hmm. it's too hard for people yeah, it's too hard. If it's too hard for me, It's too hard for them. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I might leave it up because I think love wants me to leave it up. And then maybe love wants me to respond in a kind and loving way and say and acknowledge, I can see where you where you're coming from. And that's a very valid idea. you know, maybe that's how love wants to respond. I work with Christian women who are in abusive, um, Relationships, either or they maybe are like in an abusive religious environment or abusive church where they're experiencing some abuse going on at the in an on an institutional level. Sometimes someone will come onto my page and they will say something derogatory about those kinds of women, about women, Mm -hmm. and or about what I teach. Yeah, and then sometimes love is making a correction for what they're (laughs) saying for the sake. Of other women who are reading that, Yet. and and want and needing to know, oh no, yeah. maybe I am a bad woman for you know maybe I should go back to the way that I used to think and just like hide and and placate and mm-hmm. fawn after all these people in my life, yeah. And I want that. I want them to know. Sometimes we stand up for the yes. truth, yeah. even when other people are trying to. Manipulate us and shame us and strike fear in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we need to stand up for the truth. Yes. So I try to think, you know, how would God do that in the most loving way possible to speak the truth and set a boundary? The point is, is, there's no set answer or right or wrong answer. It's just wisdom in the moment. Yeah. And connecting with that wisdom inside of you, the Holy Spirit inside of you, mm-hmm. is such a beautiful thing. And and to practice it is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And also. To make mistakes, sometimes we have parts of us that pretend to be, <laughs> you know, sure. our core self, or yeah. pretend to be the Holy Spirit inside yeah. of us. Yeah, that's good. So figuring that out—that's a whole nother topic for another time. But yeah, and Natalie, do you think
0: can we do this work on our own? Can we journal and get to the bottom of this, or do we sometimes need to invite outside help in?
1: Sometimes I think we do need to invite outside help in, but mm-hmm. there—but you can do it on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Certain personality types, like there are certain personality types that are more um intuitive and they have more like inner self-awareness. They're they the real world to them is inside. And and then other people have personality types where the real world is out here and they don't really, they're not as familiar with their ecosystem on the inside of themselves. I think those types probably would do really well to have like an IFS coach or an IFS therapist help walk you through some of this and help you connect. But um, for me, I just, I mean, reading books on IFS, Mm -hmm. like Altogether You, or like my book is a good show, not tell book, Yeah, um, will help you see what's possible. Mm -hmm. And then I do think even if you did have a coach or an IFS therapist waiting in between sessions to do this work, that would be such a waste of all of the (laughs) water that comes up on a daily basis in our lives. Our parts are with us 24-7. They're not not just showing up when we're in the therapy office. So how do we learn how to talk to ourselves and address ourselves? Oh, one little hack that I always teach people is I like to talk to myself in the mirror. Because our brain doesn't understand the difference, but just like from a brain science standpoint, our brain, when we make connection with other people's eyes, our brain doesn't understand the difference between, you know, reality and fantasy. They just, every imagination that we have, our brain thinks that's real. Yeah. So when we look in the mirror and we really look into our own eyes and say things, our brain is picking up on First of all, the tone of voice, the kind of look that we have. Are we looking at ourselves lovingly or are we looking at ourselves disdainfully? Like what's our facial expression look like? And then the, the words that we say out loud, now we're hearing them audibly. We're engaging all of our senses. And if we're saying things like, like there's this one point in my book where I talk about this, where I looked in the mirror one day and I was like, I will always have your back these people don't have your back but i promise natalie i am not going to throw you under the bus anymore i will always have your back i'm always going to be here to listen and validate your experiences from now on that was a major turning point in my life just making that commitment to myself and doing it in the mirror and ever since then, I will do that now. When I'm really struggling with something, I will look in the mirror and I will talk to myself and I'll talk to one of those parts, just looking at myself in the mirror. And I think that's a powerful thing we can do. Obviously, we're not going to do that in the therapist's office, but yeah. we can do it in the bathroom. <laughs> that's Anytime. awesome. Anytime want to.
0: Yeah. No, that's such a great tip. Well, Natalie, my goodness, this is so great to visit with you today. We will h- highly recommend your book, especially if anything... Natalie's been talking about has been resonating. If you want to kind of dig into this idea more of IFS, I think I truly found the way you described it and walked through some of your parts and their thoughts was so helpful um, to just get a better grasp of this. And then we'll also link to the other book, Altogether You, that you mentioned as well, as well as your podcast and your support community. You have so many great resources. Um, so if you've just felt confused, like you don't have the right tools, um, you need some more support in this area, we will link down below to everything that you do. So thank you for that. and. Thank thank you for being with us today.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're looking for more support, be sure to check out The Minimal Mom on YouTube too, and we'll see you next time.